track down your cat? Can parrots use Zoom? What did Eric the plesiosaur have in his stomach? How old is the oldest tree in the world? Get the answers to these questions and more on this episode of Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story this week is cat news. This story is from Engadget.com, and the headline is, Tile's latest accessory helps track your cat. Um, So the company Tile, uh, they're best known for their AirTag-like trackers. I like that they came out with trackers before Apple did, but it's still referred to as AirTag-like. Yeah, unfair. uh, Yeah. Uh, best known for their AirTag-like trackers that help you locate lost objects, uh, can now find something that can get lost on purpose. Your cat. <laughs> that was their uh, <laughs> their commentary there. I guess cats can get lost on purpose. I have a very social cat, so he is he's rarely out of sight. Um, yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, the this is a forty dollar uh, tile for cats tracker um from something called life 360 i don't know if that's like a part of tile or something that wasn't clear um but it's a modified version of the tile sticker with a silicone silicon not silicon wait silicon or silicone probably silicone collar attachment but but is there no e in the word as it's written there's no e in the word as it's written but i think they mean silicone probably because it's a collar attachment and it wouldn't make sense for that to be made out of silicon <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> this has an att- a collar attachment and has a 250-foot uh, Bluetooth range. So it's kind of like a limited range because the idea is that uh, it lets you know that your cat is somewhere in the house. <laughs> um, and then you can use it to, like, find out exactly where they're hiding. It's not meant for, like, outdoor cats to, like, track across the world. <laughs> just like <laughs> just to be like, okay, this cat is home okay. and I don't have to worry about that. I see. Um, uh, they said the battery on this lasts for three years and you can easily replace the sticker and it even offers AI assisted integration with Siri, Alexa, and Google assistant. So you can locate your cat with a voice command. So you can be like, Hey, Hey, uh, AI assistant. I don't want to say a specific one. So I don't have to I'm laughing and you're like, Hey, 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 <laughs> where is my, cat? <laughs> where's my cat at? And then it could be like, your cat is, I don't, actually, I don't know what it would say. It's not like it would be like under the bed, <laughs> but that'd be pretty cool. That would be actually useful though. Yeah. That would if be. If it knew where be, in your house. You have to also tag all the locations in your house and then it can determine by what distance the cat like, is from each location. Yeah. Like some type of proximity triangulation, like technology cat triangulator i'm just like throwing words out there that i don't don't apply just buzzwords (laughs) cat triangulator nft uh synergy blockchain um so (laughs) and like like i said uh it's for indoor use only uh due to the uh limited range but uh should be good enough to just be like well at least the cat isn't gone yeah, I guess that's good for like peace of mind. Yeah, it seems like kind of a limited use though. Like, but also, does you yeah. do you make your indoor cat wear a collar? Because that seems unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unless they're prone to escaping, I guess. But still, I mean, like, yeah, if you're worried that they're going to get out, but 
Why doesn't the technology work if they like leave your house? I guess I don't get why that wouldn't. Because it just has a it has a limited range because it's Bluetooth only. Oh, so it has to be near like your devices, like that are paired with it or whatever. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, but it's only forty bucks. So if this is a big concern for you, like that could be worth worth the peace of mind. Yeah. Or if you have a cat like mine who doesn't like ever leave your line of sight, and also if the door is open, will just stare outside instead of ever like instead of trying to run. Probably not a great investment. But uh, yeah, it's huh. a cat tracker. Cool. So uh, my next question is: Does this work for dogs as well, or why is it why is it marketed only towards cats? Was this addressed in the article? <laughs> they never mentioned dogs, and I get like I don't see why it wouldn't work for a dog. <laughs> It's like the dog waves will interfere with this cat yeah. tracker. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it would work, but uh, I guess the idea is that dogs are more often outside, and so it wouldn't make sense. I don't know. I guess <laughs> I, don't if know you, I guess if you have a small dog, maybe you would want this. Yeah. Okay, my first story is parrot news. <laughs> This is from UPI.com. And the headline is, Researchers teach parrots to make video calls. What? I love this story so much. Oh, man, I want to get, get a random video call from a parrot now. I know, right? <laughs> That'd be great. Um, so, a research team composed of people from Northeastern University, MIT, and the University of Glasgow in Scotland have released a study titled Birds of a Feather Video Flock Together Design and Evaluation of an Agency-Based Parrot-to-Parrot Video Calling System for Interspecies Ethical Enrichment. (laughs) Isn't that like the best title of a research paper? They really, they had a good time with that one. I know. That's great. So the study involved parrots learning to ring a bell that would result in a caretaker bringing them a tablet. The birds would use their beaks to select a photo of another bird on the screen, and a video call would be initiated. The parrots displayed behaviors during the calls that mimic the behaviors of birds in the wild, like when they're interacting with other birds. Jennifer Kuna, a parrot behaviorist, from Northeastern University, which, add, sidebar, add that that's a title. That's a add title that, we're adding add that to, to the list of titles. <laughs> yeah. Um, she told WHDHTV that the birds would mimic each other and there were a lot of natural behaviors seen between the birds, even though there was a screen between them. The researchers said that the parrots started to develop friendships through the video calls, <laughs> showing preferences for repeatedly placing video calls to the same long-distance companions. The study suggests bird-to-bird video calls can improve the behavior and well-being of parrots kept as pets, especially those who are the only parrot in their home. So they can make parrot friends. Long-distance parrot friends. That's so charming. (laughs) Isn't this great? Um, And I have a picture of one of the parrots with the the tablet (laughs) 
That's Isn't so this great. like incredible? And they also <laughs> have like a picture of themselves too. Yeah, yeah. It's like like it's basically like Zoom. Like they can see themselves. They can see the other bird. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, so yeah that's this is the future i love and this our pets should, can can be have friends um on video calls i was gonna say they should do this for more animals so we can like have other animals that become friends i agree i want to watch my cat have video calls with other cats <laughs> <laughs> that'd be awesome my next story is plesiosaur news. This is from the Miami Herald, and the headline is Prehistoric Predator's Last Meal Reveals an Undiscovered Ancient Species, Study Says. So, I love when we discover new species. Especially when they're in the stomachs of other species. <laughs> Um, which I think is actually a pretty rare occurrence, but I'm sure it's happened yeah. before. Um, so millions of years ago, Eric the plesiosaur <laughs> sway. <laughs> just, what? Just they named Eric. him? They named him Eric the plesiosaur. Oh, okay. He, he swam through the waters of modern day Australia. And today his skeleton is answering ancient questions. Um, so this is a new study. Uh, where they examined the stomach contents of the opalized fossil of Eric. Um, Eric was named by scientists at the Australian National University uh, after a song by Monty Python. Uh, I'm not familiar with what song they're referring to. I guess there's something about Eric. I'm sure a bigger fan of Monty Python would know. Yeah, um, I don't know. But... Uh, they said the uh, the prehistoric marine predator died between 66 and 208 million years ago, and his body went through a rare process called opalization, um, which only almost exclusively has occurred in Australia, where bones that are preserved in silica turn into gemstones. Um, and that's, that sounds really beautiful, but the pictures look pretty much like regular fossilized bones, but... I, there also weren't that many pictures, so I don't know. Maybe it looks, maybe it's like iridescent in the light or something. Um, but it sounds kind of cool. Um, so Eric was found in an opal mine in uh, South Australia in 1987 and has aided researchers in understanding aquatic systems for millions of years ago. Um, the study took a look at what he was eating and they published their findings on April 17th in Alcharinga, an, Austra an Australasian journal of paleontology. It's a very long wait. journal name. Wait, did you, wait, an Australian journal? Aus an Australasian. Oh, 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 okay. Uh, I was like, Australasian what is that? Journal. Word? Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay. <laughs> Australia and Asia. Australasia, yes. Cool. Um, so study author Joshua White and his team used x-rays and CT imagery to take a scan of the fossilized gut and use the images to create a three-dimensional model of its contents. Um, because they, like, this fossil is still, like, a lot of parts of it are still intact where they would have had to damage it to actually get to the inside. So they were able to use hmm. um, imaging to to actually see what was in there. Um they were able to identify stomach stones and other material it had eaten in its final days, but they also found 17 previously undescribed fish vertebrae, 
um, confirming to the scientists that plesiosaurs were almost exclusively fish consumers and that uh, this fish was something they had never seen before. So Eric hmm. ate a new species. <laughs> or, <laughs> I mean, I guess in Eric's time it wasn't new or that new, but it's new for us. Um, and uh, they said the bones in the gut belonged to a type of teleost fish, um, which is apparently a very large, like, family of fish that includes, like, the modern-day tuna and halibut. Um, basically, like, okay. a ton of different fishes that have ray fins, which is, like, a lot of them. It's the ones that, like, extend out and look like a fish fin. Like, <laughs> um, if you're thinking of a fish with fins, it is probably one of these fish. Um, okay. <laughs> anyway, based on the uh, size of the vertebrate, and uh, what researchers know today about teleosts, the paleontologists learned that Eric likely fed on small fish. Um, and White said in a statement, uh, Eric was a mid-tier predator, sort of like a sea lion equivalent, that ate small fish and was likely preyed upon by larger apex predators. So Eric wasn't the king of the ocean, but mm. he did try his best and ate, and, <laughs> ate some, and ate some small fish. So that's the story of Eric the Plesiosaur. And, that's a great and, story. And the brand new fish he discovered and by I, eating it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I just can't like get over the fact that they named a skeleton of a dinosaur. And they named it Did Eric. They, they named it Eric. They named it something so just like, yep, it's yep, Eric. It's, it's like, Eric. Oh, okay. you, know, you all know Eric, right? Also, the comparison to sea lions, like, now I can't stop thinking of plesiosaurs just making sea lion sounds and, like, (laughs) flopping around on the beach. Yeah. Which I don't think they did. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) I always, yeah. So you said that they they weren't the king of the ocean, but I thought they kind of were. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough about all of the different species that were there back then, but. Yeah. There might have been, like, a bigger one like a bigger species or subspecies or something. I don't know. But yeah, I've also always pictured them as like pretty large, but maybe they weren't. Mm-hmm. Maybe know. they were like, yeah, maybe they were more like a, like a seal or something, which technically is in the predatory. Still a predator. Like yeah. They're a, yeah. They're still a predator, but they're not like, they're not a great white shark, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, my next story is tree news. This is from sciencealert.com. The headline is, A cypress in Chile could soon break the record for world's oldest tree. Exciting. Okay. A tree in a forest in southern Chile known as the Great Grandfather is in the process of being recognized officially as the oldest tree in the world. The trunk of this tree measures 13 feet in diameter wow, and is about 91 feet tall. And it's also believed to contain scientific information that could shed light on how the planet has has adapted to climatic changes. Um, because they can look at, you know, when they analyze like rings and different like makeup of the of trees that are really old, they can actually learn things about what happened in that geographical region in different years. Right. So that's why. So the tree is believed to be more than five thousand years old. Um, and 
but I guess it's not officially recognized as the oldest tree on the planet yet, but it's probably going to be recognized as the oldest tree on the planet, um, which that title is currently held by a tree called Methuselah, which is a 4,850-year-old Great Basin bristlecone pine found somewhere in California. And fun fact, the exact location of Methuselah is kept secret in order to prevent vandalism. So, like, the general public does not know where it, the tree is. It's like a secret. That it's a secret. Seems like a good idea. <laughs> uh, honestly, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't trust people. <laughs> yeah. People, so, people can people can do bad things, and that seems that seems like a good choice. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it's somewhere in California. Um, but this other one's in South America, and it this one though people do know the location of it. It's on the edge of a ravine in a forest about 500 miles south of Santiago. So, pretty far south. Um, and I have a picture of the tree, and it's very interesting looking like it's not a normal trunk um you'll see what i mean oh that almost looks more like a rock structure i know right it's very strange it looks like a um yeah like a like a formation in the hillside kind of thing maybe but like yeah it's a tree like somebody took a tree and kind of stretched it in one dimension, but not in the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know how it. I don't know if these trees, this type of tree, like takes like weird shapes like that. Normally, I'm not sure, but yeah, um, who knows? Anyway, yeah. So, so this this tree actually has like a you can like hike into the forest to the spot and it has like a little like walkway next to it. So you can like take a picture next to it and stuff. It's like, you can go visit it if you want. Oh wow. If you're in South America. Um, unlike Methuselah, which is (laughs) a closely guarded secret. (laughs) It is kept at location redacted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can see the oldest tree, but then you can also see the world's youngest tree if you plant a tree while you're there. That's genius. See? I love it. I should be on their tourism board. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. If you want to share a story with us about a super old tree or anything else, you can send us an email at knickknacknews at gmail.com. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.